Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to study the Bible with us as we investigate Jesus' famous and favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God. We've been pointing out that the roots of Jesus' gospel preaching lie deep in the Hebrew Bible, what we rather mistakenly call the Old Testament. The so-called Abrahamic covenant, God's great arrangement and contract made between himself and the patriarch Abraham actually furnishes us with the foundation and the key to the Christian gospel. My text on that one would be Galatians 3 verse 8, where Paul plainly says that the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham. If Christians want to understand the gospel then, the Christian gospel, the gospel of salvation, then they ought really to pay attention to God's arrangements with Abraham. The gospel as God preached it in advance to the great patriarch. Jesus, of course, was the great preacher of the kingdom of God. But Paul plainly asserts in Galatians 3.8 that that gospel had been preached already even in Old Testament times and it laid the foundation of the great covenant arrangements made between God and Abraham. Now there's another most significant verse in connection with the Old Testament roots of the Christian gospel. In Romans 15, verse 8, Paul says that Jesus came to confirm the promises made to the fathers of the Old Testament. So the preaching of Jesus about the kingdom of God was indeed the confirmation of the great contracts and covenants made between God and his people, particularly through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and of course later through David. The great covenant of the land and offspring was made between God and Abraham. The great covenant of kingship, the royal family, the promise of the king Messiah and so on came through David the prophet. The details of that covenant are given in 2 Samuel 7 and 1 Chronicles chapter 17. I was pointing out last time that the Bible is simply filled with promises that the great land covenant made to Abraham by God in Genesis 12, 13, 15 and 17 and confirmed of course to Isaac the son of Abraham and to Jacob and the tribes of Israel that great land promise runs like a golden thread throughout the Bible the exciting thing about the biblical story taken as a coherent whole is that the wonderful plan and promise of God to grant to Abraham the land of Israel the land of the promise or the promised land that great promise has never yet come to fulfillment. But the Bible guarantees on page after page that the land will indeed come into the possession of Abraham and Isaac and all the faithful and, of course, into the possession of the Messiah Jesus himself. I suggest that if you read the Bible with that Abrahamic covenant promise as the basis and foundation of the developing story, the basis, in fact, of God's grand design for restoring peace to our earth, the Bible comes alive in a new and exciting way. Let me remind you of some of those passages in the prophets, especially in the prophet Isaiah, where we have a brilliant prophetic forecast of a time coming when our world is going to be totally and utterly different from the conditions which we now witness. Isaiah 32, verse 18, reads as follows, my people shall live in peaceful dwelling places, in secure homes, in undisturbed places of rest. Now, are those sort of conditions in any way true 
of present-day Palestine? Well, certainly not. Again in Isaiah 65, verse 9, we read this. Descendants from Jacob and Judah will possess my mountain, that's to say, my land. My chosen people will inherit them, and there will my servants live. Isaiah 65, verse 9. Again, in Isaiah 60, verse 21, we read the following. Then all your people will be righteous, and they will inherit the land forever. In Isaiah 61, verse 7, Israel is going to possess a double portion in their land. Everlasting joy will be theirs. Thus they will inherit the land a second time, and everlasting joy will be upon their heads. Isaiah 61, verse 7, as we read in the Greek version of the Hebrew Bible. Note there that they're going to inherit the land for a second time. That's to say, a time lying in the prophetic future, in those messianic times which fill the pages of the Hebrew prophets. In Isaiah 57:13, we read, The man who makes me his refuge will inherit the land and possess my holy mountain. And in Proverbs 10, verse 30, a parallel statement, The righteous will never be removed, but the wicked will not inherit the land. There really can be very little argument that the promise of the future found in the Hebrew prophets, in the Hebrew Bible, is simply of a renewed land of Israel, a renewed earth in which people are going to dwell in security and safety and peace. Now, that great truth about security and well-being in the future is echoed in the Psalms. Let me read you from Psalm 37, verses 3, 11, 18, 22, 27, 29, 34, and 37. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. The meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. The inheritance of the blameless will endure forever. Those the Lord blesses will inherit the land. Turn from evil and do good. Then you will dwell in the land forever. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. God will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you will see it. Note carefully that the righteous should not expect to inherit the land before the wicked are cut off. There's a caution in that statement for what we call dominion and reconstructionist theologies today who hope to gain possession of the world this side of the second coming. Such a thing is quite impossible according to the Bible. And finally, in that Psalm 37, we read that there's a future for the man of peace. And that future, unmestakably, in verse after verse of that Psalm 37, is a future based on dwelling in a renewed earth, in a renewed land. Jeremiah 30, verse 3, says the same thing. The days are coming, declares Yahweh, the Lord God of Israel, when I will bring my people Israel and Judah back from captivity and restore them to the land I gave their forefathers to possess. Jeremiah 30, verse 3. May I respectfully call your attention to the fact that there's not a word here about going to heaven or disappearing to a realm beyond the skies, to some super-celestial region removed from this earth. The Bible constantly holds out as the reward of faithful service to God in the present time a prize 
of living in a renewed earth. Now you may say, well, didn't Jesus then speak of heaven as the reward of the faithful? And the answer to that question is that he did not. Not only did he not mention heaven as the reward in the future, he actually confirmed and repeated the very same promise of inheritance of the land which I was just reading in Psalm 37. If you look in Psalm 37, verse 11, you'll find the statement plainly recorded there that the meek are going to inherit the land or the earth. Now Jesus, in his famous Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, verse 5, quoted that very verse and said again that the meek, those who follow Jesus in that context, are going to inherit the land. So as Jesus abandoned the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, absolutely not. He confirms, he reaffirms the very same promise and reward which was given us in the pages of the Old Testament, namely that the faithful, the righteous, the meek, those who follow Jesus, the true Christians, are destined to inherit the land or the earth. A very different prospect from disappearing to heaven as a disembodied soul. The whole idea of going to heaven as a soul is alien to the biblical documents and it casts a kind of fog over the teaching of Jesus. So much of the Bible and so much of the New Testament points forward to the great denouement of the biblical story, the time when Jesus returns to reward the faithful for their service, and that reward is constantly related to this earth. The earth certainly renewed, but nevertheless to this planet. The Bible doesn't speak of heaven as the reward of the saved. Heaven in the Bible is nowhere the destination of the dying, says a leading New Testament scholar out of Cambridge recently. And of course he was absolutely right. One has only to read Psalm 37, verse 11, as it was repeated and confirmed by Jesus in Matthew 5, 5, to learn that the inheritance of the earth is what is promised to Christians and the faithful of all the ages. Now I wonder if you realize what this means for some of our cherished traditions. Are we not bombarded in the West, in this so-called Christian Western world, with promises of heaven, when I get to heaven, so-and-so is in heaven, won't heaven be wonderful, and so on? Does it not occur to Bible readers to question that language? Where did Jesus ever speak that kind of language? Are we not as Christians bound to follow the teachings and the language of Jesus himself? Why is it that in the New Testament, when people ask Jesus about salvation, they always say, what shall I do to inherit the kingdom or inherit the life of the coming age? Why is it that Jesus speaks of inheriting the land? Why did he promise the faithful that they would inherit the kingdom of God? Why was Abraham promised the land as an everlasting possession? You see, we've diverted the teaching of Jesus from plain talk about inheriting the renewed earth to vague promises of disembodied life in some remote region far removed from our planet. The point is that grasping the hope of disembodiment in an alien region far from this planet is vague. It's not something that Christians can readily understand. Can you imagine life without a body? It's absolutely incomprehensible. But it's alien, it's foreign to the biblical teaching. We as Christians are pledged to following Jesus, and that means following his teachings, imitating his language. I suggest that we give up all talk of heaven and start talking with our Savior and our Rabbi about inheriting the land, inheriting the earth, 
inheriting the kingdom of God on the earth in the future. We read in Revelation 5 verse 10 that the saints of all the nations, of all tongues and of all languages are going to rule as kings upon the earth. That doesn't sound like going to heaven or as I read recently about polishing rainbows in some region removed from this planet. The very opposite, the Christian hope according to the Bible is a concrete reality. It's to be enjoyed on this planet in the future when Jesus returns to alter once and for all the affairs of our present governments. The kingdom of God is to be a new revolutionary government to establish a brand new empire on this earth with Jesus inheriting the kingdom promised by all the prophets. Jesus as Messiah has never yet taken up his rule on the throne of David, which is promised to him on page after page of the Hebrew Bible. That's what the kingdom of God is about. It's a new world coming, a world desperately needed by our sin-sick present society. That's the hope of the New Testament, and it's the heart of the gospel about the kingdom of God. That gospel, you see, is the saving gospel. Not only is a Christian to believe that Jesus died for his sins and that the Messiah rose from the dead, he's to accept wholeheartedly the message of God's coming kingdom. That was the heart of the gospel as Jesus preached it. And as Paul preached it also, look at the end of the book of Acts, for example. From dawn till dusk, Paul labored to communicate the good news about the kingdom of God and the things concerning Jesus. Acts 28, verses 23 and 31. We invite you to request from us our free book on the kingdom of God for your personal Bible study at home. And join us again as we continue with our investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.